ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! evening and thanks for joining in to this the December 20th 2020 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You can catch boxing articles and more through the website theboxingsource.net and we are on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, have a YouTube channel. Just look up the boxing source and you'll be able to find us. Uh, we do have live simulcasts going down you know, right now on YouTube. Um, and we have the hotline number 347-237-5539 to talk about everything that has gone down in the sport of boxing. Of course, we had a fairly big event over in San Antonio that we will be talking about. We will be dissecting that bit by bit, piece by piece. And also the fallout from this particular event is there was a lot of fallout from that event coming from a few boxers that were in attendance uh, there. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, we will also go into other action that was in Uncasville, Connecticut. Uh, as uh, you had the main event there that was for the interim WBC Bantamweight Championship and had a fairly questionable result, to say the least. And also, uh, you had two other fights that were on that main card on Showtime that we will talk about in a little bit. Uh, you know, we also, you know, will you know, talk about a few things going down uh, later this year and uh, have a consideration a show on December 27th uh, that may be a you know year-end type of show uh, there. So we will be going through that. Um, but yeah, I wanted to you know break down what happened uh, with Canelo Alvarez and Callum Smith. You know that was uh, you know we had like a good amount of um, critique for you know this particular fight. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a few people that, you know, felt like, uh, you know, the thing was a very good performance from Canelo Alvarez to get the unanimous decision win over Callum Smith. And there were some that, you know, weren't necessarily, you know, um, uh, what was that? A, uh, good performance, uh, uh, I guess because some people felt like Canelo was going to knock out or stop uh, Callum Smith. Uh, but that didn't happen. I think, you know, some people were disappointed in that. 
Um, and I, I mean, for me, I just thought it was a great overall performance from Canelo Alvarez. Was able to take everything that you know um, that Callum Smith could do and basically dissect them over the course of 12 rounds. Um, you know, on the flip side, yeah, there was a few things that Callum Smith could have done in this particular fight that he did not do. And this was kind of like, um, I would say, kind of like one of the topics that was uh, brought up before this particular fight. I would have thought that Callum Smith would have been more active on offense. I thought he would have been able to double up on a jab. I thought he wouldn't have, you know, been on the same line, you know, or line of vision as Canelo Alvarez and not, you know, move away from Canelo Alvarez or move away from, you know, the counter, you know, lefts or at least try to respond to the counters. He didn't do that in this particular fight, particularly in those first few rounds. It was like, you know, you had a filling out process, but if you are six foot three and you're going against someone that's five nine, and you have an eight-inch reach advantage, and you're not being active with your jab, you're not throwing something that has your opponent respecting what you do, and you will eventually get broke down. And that's what happened uh, in this bout between Canelo Alvarez and Callum Smith. You just had Canelo Alvarez just, you know, be like, oh, you're throwing a jab? Okay, cool. Throwing another jab? Okay, cool. You're not throwing a right hand? Okay, cool. I'm going to just walk you down. I'm going to walk you down, and I'm going to break you down. I'm going to walk you down, and I'm going to break you down. If you're not active with the jab, then I'm going to throw my jab. If you're actually going to throw a jab, and I know that you're going to throw a jab, I'm going to roll that, and then I'm going to come back with the left hook or right hand. And that's basically what Canola Alvarez did for the majority of the first half of that fight. Then he was mixing it up, working the body as you know, was expected uh, there for this particular fight. And like a lot of people, I guess, in attendance were, you know, interested, uh, were of interest there, I would say. And they, um, of course, they were sharing Canelo and things like that. Um, And he he basically had a very good performance there uh, to get the unanimous decision win and become the WBC super middleweight champion the WBA super middleweight champion and the ring magazine super middleweight champion he is now rated as the number one guy at super middleweight and um, it was yeah a real performance that you know had me thinking like yo I really don't see any elements in a lot of these guys at 168 pounds that could do something to have Canelo Alvarez in trouble. Callum Smith was a guy that, yeah, he did win the uh, World Boxing Super Series uh, a couple years ago, um, you know, and had that performance against George Groves uh, there. Uh, but you all saw what happened against John Ryder after, you know, what happened when he was in the ring against Hassan and Dom uh, over in Madison Square Garden in June 2019. And, of course, kind of like felt like Hassan and Dom should have been in the ring against Colin Smith, you know. Uh, then you have uh, the performance 
that Callum Smith had against, you know, John Ryder, where a few people, a good number of people, felt like John Ryder got the better of uh, Callum Smith in that fight. And I think that kind uh, was one of the elements as to why people were kind of like turned off to Callum Smith facing Canelo Alvarez at this point, given his last performance. Uh, but, you know, when you're rated as the number one super middleweight, that's the title that you have there, rated at number one super middleweight, going up against a guy that was rated number one at middleweight, had world titles at 154 pounds, 160 pounds, 175 pounds, had the WBA regular super middleweight championship after he defeated Rocky Fielding uh, in Madison Square Garden at one point. So he was going up against the number one super middleweight, and he broke down that super middleweight bit by bit, piece by piece. And it was just kind of uh, surprising that, you know, Callum Smith was able to stay up for 12 rounds because there was a lot of shots that he was taking that could have, you know, eventually broken him down. I thought that he would have got gone down to a body shot just like he thought that did Liam Smith when Cal- uh, when Canelo fought Liam B.C. Smith at 154 pounds. But Callum Smith was able to take every single one of those punches. Uh, there were a few times where he was in the ropes and Canelo was, you know, wailing at him, wailing at him, and wailing at him. And either he was, like, catching those shots with his arms or he was, you know, ducking and trying to roll with punches and then get out of the ropes. But outside of that, you just didn't see Callum Smith be active with the jab, moving away from the line, moving side to side. I only saw it once. I only saw Callum Smith move over to the side once to make Canelo reset in his pursuit of Callum Smith. And that is definitely not the way that you could fight Canelo Alvarez and have any type of success against him. Either you're going to have to be very active with the jab or you're going to have to throw the jab and expect that you're going to get hit with the counter and come up with another counter to that counter. If you're not going to do that, then you're just going to eventually have, you know, um, Canelo Alvarez break you down and wear you out and either stop you or it's going to be a clear decision. And that's what we got, a clear decision win from Canelo Alvarez there as, you know, it was crazy that Canelo Alvarez and Callum Smith there at the same age. But Canelo basically had twice the amount of professional fights as Callum Smith. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was fighting at 15 in Mexico and had been fighting in Mexico for like, what, five, ten years or whatever it is. But still, that's like a you know, great amount of professional experience that Canelo has had. And, you know, ever since he... You know, had that super fight against Floyd Mayweather, 154 pounds. He's been, you know, fighting the best, the best out there from 154 to, you know, 160 to, you know, now the top guy, 168. And so, you know, now I guess what's left is possibly, you know, him fighting the best fighter at 175 maybe or still, you know, having those fights at 168 pounds. They were going to you know, revisit, 
you know, those things here um, in a couple of moments, but just to, you know, throw it out there. Um, 168 pounds, of course, you have the uh, world title situation. Yeah, Billy Joe Saunders did say something after the fight. Yeah, Billy Joe Saunders did defend his WBO version of the super middleweight title, you know, and uh, was able to get a clear decision win in his bout. And yeah, he was slated to fight Canelo Alvarez this year in May. So he's probably trying to get, you know, into the front of the line of the Canelo sweepstakes, saying that, hey, uh, I was supposed to fight him in Las Vegas this year. And because of this COVID thing, that whole that whole fight just got shot down. And so now y'all just had uh, Callum Smith get a fight ahead of me. So he, he feels like, yo, y'all owe me one. So he's, you know, throwing his name in the hat. Uh, you do have, of course, uh, one guy that was a potential opponent for Canelo Alvarez, and he is an IBF champ. But, uh, yeah, earlier this week it was announced that that IBF champion, Caleb Plant, will be fighting at the end of January, January 30th, against Caleb Truex with Caleb Truax being the top-rated remaining contender as at this point in the IBF rankings. Of course, you know, Caleb's plant's uh, last uh, defense, you know, was against Vincent Fiegenboots, who was at the time the number one contender for the uh, the IBF, excuse me, the IBF Super Middleweight Championship. So, you know, now Caleb Plant seems out of the picture. Uh, One other fighter, that has been brought up, that has been brought up for a while, is the WBC middleweight champion, Jamal Charlo. Jamal Charlo moved up from 154 to 160, fought for that, you know, that top spot at 160 in the WBC rankings and tried to get a fight with Canelo, named Canelo franchise champ, and pretty much, like, eliminated Canelo out of the picture. Uh, so those are among the potential opponents for Canelo Alvarez. There is another fighter that has been mentioned that I've kind of shot down as many times as possible, and we will revisit that in a moment. But uh, we have a caller on the queue, one of the uh, contributors to this podcast uh, here on the Boxing Source radio show uh, from the uh, – it has 205 area code. Should be Mr. Mike Brady on the line. What's going on? What's going on, JR? How you, how you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing all good, man. Doing all good. Just dissecting the whole thing with the um, Canelo Alvarez, Callum Smith fight, um, the performance of Canelo Alvarez, and, um, you know, what Callum Smith did. And it was, you know, partly what Canelo did right. And partly what Callum Smith did wrong, and it was probably more of what Callum Smith did wrong in that fight. But uh, what were your thoughts about what happened over in San Antonio? So I think you made a good point. I want to add one extra thing to what you said. Quite naturally, it's about what each fighter did right and wrong. It's definitely about what Canelo did right. Um, 
very simple, walking with his hand straight forward, not using – like he used a jab, which his jab was more effective, which leads me into what uh, Callum Smith did wrong. He didn't use his jab. Uh, he might have used it a couple times when he was trying to, you know, when he was on the rope or something, and he pretty much had to do something when Canelo was throwing shots. But for the most part, in terms of using his distance, backing up, trying to get range with the jab, he didn't do that at all. Like, that was pretty non-existent. But the point I was adding was it ain't just about what Canelo did right or wrong and what Callum Smith did right or wrong. It's also about what these matchmakers did right. And Canelo is a great fighter. He's my number one pound-for-pound fighter. His The fact that they match make him right does not take away that he's the number one guy. Um, could that change if he fights, you know, someone who – has his Achilles heel, which is someone with quick feet who can move around, yeah, that could change. That could make Errol Spence number one. But right now, body of work, you got to give it to Canelo. I mean, in my opinion, it's Canelo. And, you know, until it happens where they do actually match him against that, hey, what can you do? But the matchmakers did something right. And then, you know, we got the announcers uh, on the zone trying to sell people on this being a competitive fight. And the dude is very annoying. Um, the main announcer guy, he's pretty annoying. Like the what one who the, was arguing with Andre. Uh, uh, Brian Kenny, or are you talking about Chris Mannix? Mannix. Mannix is yeah. annoying. <laughs> like, he, might, like, he might be – he might be uh, he might be taking the uh, award for the um, most annoying no- announcer in, in boxing this year for some people, I guess. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he... So. Yeah. Like, like, it seems like they always try to get somebody and say, hey, you got to fit in this mold where you're the, you know, not saying Howard Cosell was like this because I haven't seen much of Howard Cosell other than how they painted him when he was giving uh, Ali a hard time, but you got to be that Howard Costell and, you know, make sure that you draw up interest in the fighter, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, the, you, you got you to be, we got to have somebody who's a Teddy Atlas who, who, who draws interest and, you know, makes people, um, you know, just gives them a different perspective and, and does it with a little bit of flair. Like, you, you always got to be the, the person going against the grain or, you know, just saying that um, that statement, that that awe-inspiring statement. And so he always got something to say. Um, like he had a point where he said, oh, man, um, he was on the ropes and he was hurt and the ropes held him up. Dude, no. He, he backed up against the ropes, and when he backed up against the ropes, like anybody else is Canelo swinging at you, you're going to lean back as far as you can to get away from the punch, and if you got a 6-3 frame, guess what? You can lean on the ropes as much as you want, and, um, you know, like, you can be away right. from him three feet to where he can't hit you. And then the um, the on-site judge or the on-site ref or judge, whoever it was, was like, nah, nah, he, he I don't think he was out on his feet, no. And then that's when uh, Sergio Moore came behind him and was like, yeah, I don't think he was out on his feet either. Like, he – it's like Tim Bradley does that too, but Tim Bradley at least 
has the credibility of of, of being a, a boxer, a, a, a eventual Hall of Fame boxer too. Um, he's annoying, but the matchmakers, man, they they really do Canelo a justice because. Yeah. Yeah. I think that fight was was. I'm not gonna call it BS, man, but I think it was. Um, I just I feel like I wanted a bit more. Like I feel cheated a bit, you know. Like I felt cheated a bit. I mean, well, I paid for the zone, but it was just like a um, a robbery in a sense. Like, like well, I think it goes back to the comment that you were talking about, and I think there was some certain uh, professional fighter that said the same thing. It's like. I mean, Canelo's this guy, he's number one pound for pound and everything and this and that, but seems like he's been getting matched up with uh, guys that make him look good, and like he's had a string of guys that make him look good, you know? Like, I mean, you know, of course he had the whole other thing with, um, you know, for me and like Daniel Jacobs, like Daniel Jacobs, that could have been a very good tactical fight. But Daniel Jacobs was just not active enough. He could have been in there and stood toe to toe with Canelo Alvarez if he wanted to. He just didn't do it. But you know, having Canelo going up against Kovalev, who can't really move, and you know, uh, Callum Smith, who's tall but really can't move, you know, side to side, and is not active with his hands. That's kind of uh, something that uh, Demetrius Andre brought up. Uh, after the fight, and, you know, he may have a little bit of a point, you know, because if you have uh, Canelo against guys that are there that could stand right in the line with them for him to tee off, then, yeah, he's going to look good, but it's not going to be a good fight for people unless if he, you know, completely takes them out. But the thing is, is like some people have said, like, where is Canelo going to have a fight where it's going to be anything close to a 50-50 type of fight? Like, will that happen if he faces, uh, you know, a, a Caleb Plant or maybe a David Benavidez or somebody like that? Who knows? But as of right now, he's kind of like, yeah, he's up there as far as like the top guy. Uh, at 168 pounds, and he did his thing at 160 pounds. But where are the matchups that are posed to him to where he can, you know, say, hey, this guy could really, really beat Canelo, you know? And that's what I think uh, some fans are looking for, those fights where, you know, Canelo could go up against those guys, and you're like, I don't know. You know, either this guy has a shot to beat Canelo or I don't know if Canelo could really beat this guy. That's why, like, um, you know, some people bring up uh, Archer Betabiev, but, you know, I've, like, seen a recent comment on social media, and it seems like uh, they say only boxing Twitter is interested in a fight between Canelo and Archer Betabiev at 175 pounds. So if that's the case, then what other options are out there for Canelo uh, going into next year? Because um, they're going to be building into, you know, something. And, yeah, I'm going to mention one name 
that has been brought up, but that's still a good ways away for me. It's a good ways away for me if that's going to even happen. So I'm talking about guys that are within that weight class right now that Canelo campaigns in as far as like potential opponents uh, here in the near future. And I, I, I just don't know um, who would be that particular guy uh, that would kind of like say uh, would be a potential uh, threat to Canelo Alvarez. Um, I want to get in uh, next caller in here, another a longtime contributor to the Boxing Source radio show from the 202 area code, the man with multiple aliases. He probably got more aliases than uh, some. Uh, this guy, Ben Maller from Fox Sports. Uh, 202, what's going on? Mr. Give Me My Credit, Mr. Unbiased, Mr. Who You Pick. What's up, fellas? It's World Rank. Oh, it's only three of them. All right. That, that's, <laughs> it's not like 15 <laughs> different nicknames or something like that. What's going on, man? Nothing. I just want to give a PSA to everybody out there. You know, sometimes it's good to be lucky. You know what I'm saying? So last night at the last last minute before the fight, I put a little couple of dollars on Gabayo to beat Rodriguez. And uh, he definitely did not win that fight. But sometimes it works out in your favor when the judges don't do right. Oh, 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 oh man, Matt, yo, that was that, yo. Who was it? What was that? That Raleigh fight uh, that happened a couple months ago. I thought that was like a bad decision by the judges. This one here, yeah, oh my god, that that was that was terrible. It was terrible, kidding. It was terrible. Man, I, yeah, I'll yeah, I'll go into that here a little bit because I there might be a little bit of a side story to all of that. Um, but yeah, I was breaking down this thing with uh, Canelo and uh, Callum Smith with uh, Mike Grady here, and you know Mike was saying like, you know, even though like you know Canelo had a clear victory in there, you know he seemed like he was kind of cheated as far as like that performance that was that happened like i guess he didn't feel like callum smith really did enough you know and i don't think um, probably you don't think it was you know because of canelo but hey to bring up demetrius andrade again he said midway through the fight that callum smith is just like they're showing up and not fighting to win he's just you know fighting to make it which I thought was interesting. Uh, world rank. What, what what do you think about the uh, fight in general and Demetrius Andrade's comments? I actually think Andrade was spot on, man. It seemed like, to be honest, it seemed like Liam tried to fight more to win than Callum did. And it's, and it's crazy because um, when you see the size difference in the ring, it just seemed like, it it was it to me I would equate it to a big person who the bigger person who's not really built for fighting just like on a street fight it just seemed like a person who a big person who wasn't built for fighting going up against a smaller bully and right. or who the don't bigger, know how to, or, or the, who don't know that they can fight 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, but it just seemed like he was, you know, somebody who didn't have the courage to, like Mike Grady just said, maybe to believe in this open enough to say, hey, I got some of these advantages. I should be able to take advantage of it. But also, Smith was never the outside fighter people wanted him to be in this fight. If you look right. at all his past fights, he was an in, he's an inside fighter. And, you know, sometimes you can get guys like him and Paul Williams and other guys who negate their advantages. For Paul Williams, it worked out pretty well in his career, even Calvin Smith to a certain degree. But when you step up in level, uh, you need all the advantages you can get. And he just didn't take – you know, he didn't take advantage of what he had. And it, uh, I agree with Andrade. He seemed like he was just there, uh, not just there, but it seemed like he, at some point he was defeated enough just to say, I, I'm just trying to last. I'm, I'm just trying right. to make it 12 rounds. Right. And he didn't, like, do anything in order to try to see if there was, like, any openings that he could use on Canelo. He didn't, like, switch things up you know, on a consistent basis to get any more success against uh, Canelo. Like, he was very economical in his punches in the uh, first half of the fight. And then there were some times where he had first way through three or four punch combinations when he had the spacing. And I'm like, uh, okay, where was this in the first few rounds? Or, like, if he had uh openings with an uppercut like i've seen him land an uppercut a couple of times i'm like okay where was that or you know like you're saying with uh callum smith's uh overall uh approach in his fighting like he fights on the inside that's cool but you need to do some work on the inside and then move away step back or move off to the side before canelo responds to you so that canelo resets and he only did that once the entire fight and I was like, that that just shows like to me that he was, you know, just there to be there, uh, just to make it through that particular fight, you know, and not uh, you know, get yourself knocked out or, you know, significantly beat over the course of the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you said, there were some times where he threw some uppercuts and he threw some body punches that looked it real good if he committed to it. But it seemed like he wasn't throwing them with bad intention. Like, it seemed like he was throwing it as, like, a get-off-me type stuff. And it's like he would always not take a step going forward. It was crazy. It was like, dude, just take a step forward and just see where it would get you. Just just try it because this back foot stuff ain't working, bro. It's just not. You know what I'm saying? And it's really not you. So why would you take that approach against? somebody who who is a probably I would consider Canelo a better defensive fighter than you. You have to and in this type of environment when you've seen Canelo in his past fights, you have to take chances. This is something yep. Andrade must learn, Charlo must learn. We've seen in past history trying to go twelve rounds with Canelo and trying to outpoint him ain't the way to go about it. it Floyd did it, yes, but Floyd is Floyd. You cannot be for it. You know what I'm saying? So you got to take the approach. Floyd uh, got a tie. I got to be. Floyd got a, 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 a tie in one of the scorecards. Say it again. Oh. <laughs> JR, you just say it for me. I'm got some food in my mouth. <laughs> Canelo was able to get a draw. Shout out to 
<laughs> Shout out to that judge uh, for giving for giving a one fourteen one fourteen score <laughs> in that fight. Which supports yeah, your but point, you Adelaide Bird. Yeah, but you know, in in those circumstances, you know, it's amazing to me that you know what you're up against with Canelo, and these guys continue to fight this passive type of fight. Like you cannot, like. You cannot win beating Canelo like that. And it's just like these guys are okay with grabbing a check, trying to last 12 rounds, and trying not to get knocked out and trying to, you know, not ski their way, but just trying to nip and tuck. Like, you, like come on. Like, you're getting paid big money for these fights on a big platform and trying to – man, I don't know, man. You can't his, – his little brother – it's like your little brother put him – a better effort in terms of trying to win than you did. At least your, at least your little brother went out on his shield. Like he, 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 he tried. He just was outgunned. You was like, man, I'm just trying to make it to 12 rounds, and you know, I'm gonna throw this little, you know, these little uppercuts and these little body punches mm-hmm. and try to keep them off me. But I ain't trying yeah. to win for real. Yeah, I'm gonna throw this jab while I'm backing up. I'm gonna get to the ropes, and and when he tries to wail on me, I'm gonna you know try to slip here and slip there, and try to duck off to the side, and you know just repeat repeat the same process for twelve rounds. And you know we had the instance where he like he allowed, I felt like he allowed Canelo to tee off on him on the inside, and and when he had his arms up like. He didn't throw any punches, so you know what Canelo did? He was like, you know what, okay. Either I'm going to land to the body or I'm going to land on your arms. So one way or another, one part of your body is going to get hurt. Either it's going to be your solar plexus or it's going to be your arms. And those uh, punches downstairs, like, landed on the arms, but now you just, you know, heard that, like, Callum Smith's, uh, you know, right arm was basically uh, near mincemeat, you know what I mean? And he just allowed that because he didn't do anything to have Canelo Alvarez respect him. I I was saying before y'all got in, like, if you're going to throw a jab and you know that Canelo's a counterpuncher, you need to respond to that counterpuncher so he doesn't feel like he could counterpunch that much, you know? It's like, how do you fight a fight like this? Like, I know that he, like, Callum Smith doesn't really fight tall that much, but a couple weeks ago, you had the blueprint of what you do when you have the length and the reach. Errol Spence just shows you what to do against the counterpuncher, and you didn't even do that. So I'm like, man, yeah, he, he, he just looked like he was just there and was thankful to make it, Jeff. What did it show? What was that, Mike? What did he show? Who, Spence? He said what he he showed what to do against a counterpuncher. What he do? What you saying he did? Like use his length, be able to uh, dictate the spacing between you and your opponent, so that when you do throw and you do have someone that's a counterpuncher that wants to respond. Either he misses with that counterpunch or he doesn't get the full effect off that counterpunch if he lands. And also, you respond to that counterpunch because you have the distance. So once he does counterpunch, you know that you have the range to hit him right back. And 
I just didn't see that at all from Callum Smith because whether it was his overall fighting style or he was saying he's just there to be there. And I was like, come on, man. Can't do that against Canelo Alvarez. Was that the hook that Canelo was trying to land, the left hook? Was that was that the punch he was trying to land all night? Because it seemed like it was one punch. He was trying to he was he was trying to level uh, Smith with, but he could never really get it clean. Was that the left hook? Yeah, it might, it might have been the left hook. I don't know if it was like a counter though, but or more from like a counter. But yeah, he was trying to. Nah, he was like this. It was like he was jumping in to try to. It was one like one of them Danny Garcia left hooks, like real wide, like lugging, like slugging kind of punches. Yeah, it was like it was. He, Canelo was a little more tighter than Danny was, but he was. It was one punch. He was throwing and he was trying to. He was trying to get. It, if I remember, it was the last book, but I'm not totally sure. But it was Callum's lucky Canelo didn't land that clean. And another thing, um, what Mike talked about last week in terms of heart and stuff, in terms of fighters, Callum didn't have that dog in him. Like, that's something he was missing, too. It was like he didn't have the dog or the grit to be like, I'm trying to win this fight. I want to win this fight. Never in the time in there. In any of those 12 rounds, it seemed like he digged down and was like, I want to do something this round. Or, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to do something. It was never, in the whole 12 rounds, it was never a time where I thought like that. Yeah, it's like either you have a, you have a fighter that's a dog or, or, or someone that, like, has the, you know, um, the identity of, like, a killer in the ring. You don't see it. You definitely don't see that in Callum Smith. I'm sorry. You just don't see that. So, how is, uh, you know, Canelo going to be in any type of trouble against someone that doesn't have that type of stop? Part of that came from his corner. Uh, like, it was him fighting. I'm, I'm not taking away from his responsibility and what he needed to do. But one of them rounds, they was like, all right, Callum, we're going to give you one more round. Um, yep. He he beating up on you a little too much. We're gonna give you one more round, and I think it was three more, three or four more rounds left. And um, he didn't really come out and do much, you know. Like, but they told him he gonna give him one more round, meaning that they were conceding. Like it was like, like dude, he the better man. Uh, you know, like they didn't say go out and, you know, give it your all this next round and then we'll stop it. It was just like they everybody had conceded. I mean, he was he was obviously outclassed. Uh, Canelo's a better fighter. Um, but like you said, it just wasn't no – at least the brother, like you said, knew he was outclassed and was like, well, shoot, I'm at least about to hit him one good time before he, like, knocked right. me out. Yeah. And then he hit him one good time and got knocked out. With a body shot, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. My thing with this fight, though, if if I knew nothing about Canelo and all I knew was that people were saying he was in the race for pound-for-pound bets, this does nothing for me not knowing what I already know about Canelo. Canelo cementing his pound for pound before this fight, in my opinion. If I had not seen what I have already seen from him and seeing the level of competition that he faced and the level of competition that that competition faced, 
this would not have told me much about him deserving that claim. And it's it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't see how they're, like, telling, saying that he's the number one guy now by beating this guy. This guy definitely is not the best guy in the division by no means or no stretch of the imagination. So it, it kind of, like, it upsets me a bit that, that like, Canelo deserved the accolades, but it's like false accolades. It's like in Dungo with Karen Crawford. <laughs> hey. I'm serious, though. It's, it's like in Dungo where Crawford gets all of his praise for beating in Dungo. We know who in Dungo is. In Dungo ain't that good. He's, he's a very limited fighter. If he fights anybody who has a decent level IQ, he's going to get knocked out. He's not good at all. This guy, now, Callum Smith, don't know how, know how to use his range, which means that if he fights any guy that's good, that got a decent level of power, he's going to lose. I mean, I think he's going to do Go ahead. Now, I got to challenge you on that because Go ahead. We, get in this, we get in this discussion about how good somebody is, but what is it based on? Like, your your point is valid because you're saying it from a technical aspect of it. And then your points are valid. But at some point we gotta validate who they beat. You get what I'm saying? So you can have you can have all the skill in the world but it's like Terrence Crawford, but if you didn't beat anyone, does it really matter? You can be offensively gifted worldly like Gary Russell is, but if you have Gary Russell's career, then it's then it's a, it's it's like a catch twenty two. It's like okay, the talent is clearly there, but the level of accolades do not match. So we get these um, these differences of opinion because Callum Smith, from a resume wise at one sixty eight, is relevant. Now, I gotta be honest. There was a point right after the Super 6, where I thought he was the best super middleweight in the world. And like I said, in the last, like I said, in the last, the last week, if this had happened a year ago, I would have favored Callum even more, which I'd have been wrong, but it's hindsight. The same thing with Crawford and Dongo. When Crawford beat in Dongo, Dongo didn't have a loss. So it was, it wasn't, necessarily easy to tell his level and what his accomplishments are are much better than him as a fighter. So sometimes Calvin Smith and Dongo, their accomplishments are better than the actual fighter. And it's hard to gauge um, talent to to resume. You get what I'm saying? So when you say Calvin Smith isn't good, if I didn't know anything from that fight, Seeing Canelo beat up a bigger person, a much bigger person, is much relevant to me if I don't know anything about the sport. Because I'm like, why is this little-ass dude beating on this big dude? Like, are they even in the same, like, are they even in the same weight class? Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't see it as the little guy is, um, is good. I would see it as the, he's beating up a bigger guy, and I feel like there should be some some credit for that. You don't think most people look at the fight who don't know men about boxing is like Canelo fighting his bum. You don't think most people left their fight saying that Canelo 
fought a bum last night from from that performance, from how he would literally at, like after round four started to try to survive. Nah, you from not knowing anything, yeah, but I rate Callum Smith. I think he's a he's a good fighter. Is he? I, I guess last night was a, was to me was a was a showing of an elite fighter against a world class fighter. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you get outclassed. It, it, sometimes it's just levels to it. I don't think necessarily that Callum Smith is a bum. I just think Canelo made him look like that. If you look, if you watch the Floyd and Canelo fight, you would think Canelo was a bum too. You know, if he was lo- using that logic, because Floyd um, watched the Canelo. The only difference about that, Canelo got outclassed, yes. However, in every time, I'm like, Floyd, that, that, if he would hit you with that inch that he missed you, it was close. Canelo never stopped trying to win the fight. He was outclassed, but you could at least see in him being outclassed, he, he was a level below Floyd, but you could still tell the fighter was a – a good fighter, but this style just didn't suit him. With what's his name, he was outclassed, and there was no offensive output. The defense was very poor. He didn't jab to keep a taller fighter off him. It just looked like he was very inadequate as a fighter. Hmm. So, so world rank. So, so you mean to tell me that after this? Uh... Performance by Canelo Alvarez against Callum Smith that Canelo could take a line off of Roy Jones Jr. Talking about that they ain't, they got the nerve that I ain't fight nobody. I just make them look like nobody. Y'all must have forgot. Absolutely, man. I mean, Canelo is doing things other guys just ain't doing. Like, to go up these weight classes and beating I mean, Kovalev is a cherry pick. I admit that. I, but even to take that. This guy cherry pick. I mean, anybody Canelo <laughs> pick is a cherry pick, though, because Canelo's actually he's choosing them. But I think Callum Smith is but better it, than his, his performance last night. I, that's that's but what I would like say. But back, though. Uh, it, like, the question is, and I and, and I said it before, and I'm like, who who is out there right now from 160 to 175 that if Canelo, you know, chooses to fight him, that it's you know close to a 50-50 type of fight or a level where hey maybe he might not be as favored to win that fight. Like, can you find the fighter? At this point, right now, at Canelo fights, and it's that particular situation. You know what I mean? So, so like answering that question, better be a, is, is a big is a big boy. So I think off the strength of him being a big boy, like physically bigger than Canelo, that would give Canelo problems. Because I wonder if Canelo could hurt him. I think he can, but can he hurt better BF? I don't know. That's a big boy. Um, in terms of the style that is Canelo's Achilles heel, anybody with fast hands, fast feet, 
Well, Amir Khan had fast hands, but his defense sucked. Anybody with fast feet, with educated feet, which means that Caleb Plant won't win the fight because it's going to go to decision. However, Caleb Plant is going to give Canelo fits, especially if Caleb Plant has enough power to be able to keep Canelo off of him. Caleb Plant will jab. Caleb Plant will hit uh, Canelo in the eye all day. And, you know, he'll make Canelo reset. So in terms of of, of like winning the exchanges, I think Caleb Plant could do that. Does that mean he'll win the fight? No, because like he already down three or four rounds. Unless he hurt Canelo, knock him down or something, mm-hmm. he ain't going to win the fight. And that's just politics. But that style will give him trouble. Um, the Charlos will give him tr- trouble because, you know, I mean, they're not slight of foot, but, you know, just their athleticism will, will give trouble. Or at least the big Charlo will give him trouble. Um, the younger Charlo, uh, I mean, the uh, the Charlo <clears throat> that beat um, the uh, Dominican guy. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that's Jamel Charlo. I, I question him. I think he's the less better of the two, just my opinion. Um, what? Why? Why I think that? Is that what you, that what you said? No, I said that, no. I was saying that I, I say it's the same thing. I think that Jamal oh, okay. is, you know, more, you know, more skilled overall than uh, Jamel is. But I think that kind of like offends Jamel to a certain extent, given the amount of competition that he's fought at 154 pounds. So they kind of have a little bit of a in reference to all that. But that's like a whole other story. Um, yeah. But I like you know feel what you're saying in that because you know they like the the fighters that you mentioned don't necessarily have the uh, foot movement or you know like that type of ring generalship that could give Canelo problems. Um, you know earlier this morning, um, Josh Taylor, the unified champion, super uh, lightweight, did uh, feel like Billy Joe Saunders would give Canelo problems, but I'm like. I don't know about that, particularly if it's at 168. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I really don't feel like uh, Saunders at 168 uh, has the movement uh, well enough to do that. He may have the jab, but like, like in this particular fight that we just saw yesterday, if Saunders doesn't have anything that <laughs> makes Canelo respect him, Canelo's gonna walk right through that. And then just go to work. <laughs> and Saunders will end up getting broken down, too. I don't believe any UK fighter, because they just all just blindly just say that their guy was going to win. It's just amazing how many people, how many boxers from the UK thought or won it, not won it, because everybody won it, thought Colin Smith was going to win. Yeah, I don't know where. <laughs> Where they kind of like thought that, you know, given the amount of competition that, you know, Canelo has fought up to this point. Uh, he's had the best resume in boxing for the past five years plus, you know. So uh, I can't really necessarily get, get that to in comparison to Callum Smith, who's, you know, biggest winners against George Groves. You, and after that, who you have? He fought uh, Nicky Olsen or... You know, like I said, a Hassan Indom, you know, a uh, John Ryder. Um, he did beat uh, Rocky Fielding, too, but I'm like, yeah, but then after that, then what? You 
know. So, you know, what would be um, you know, another thing that could have been a quality win for him? Like an Eric Scoglin? Like, something if you really aren't, you know, into the sport like that, you wouldn't recognize that as being a significant win for Callum Smith. So, I mean, it is what it is in, in, in that instance. So, like, I mean, what can you say there, uh, there for um, Callum Smith? I mean, I think that, you know, some people, you were talking about mentioning uh, UK fighters or whatever it is, or like fans in the UK, like I've heard that there is a possibility that Callum Smith may not be at 168 pounds uh, for much longer anymore. He may end up moving up to 175. Uh, given his frame and everything like that, so this may ended up may have ended up being his last fight at 168 pounds. That's that that's that that loser syndrome that I talked about previously. When guys lose, they got to make changes, and the number one change they make is either uh, switching trainers or moving mm-hmm. up and weight. Mm-hmm. And we you know we mentioned that a couple. Of to uh, Danny Garcia, so which, but but in this case, I think it's interesting because there's still like a good amount of fights that could be made at 168 pounds for Tom Smith. Like this is his first professional loss, and I mean this is like what like how they react. Like oh, we got to move up. Like okay, you move up and you're gonna go up against who? Like, who are you going to match up against uh, there, you know, at, at 175? Uh, Zerto Ramirez or something? You know, he did fight this past weekend. But, you know, outside of that, like, what are they going to do for Tom Smith? You know, I, got, I just don't a, know what it be. They got a lot of U.K. dudes at 175. So they can – they won't be meaningful to us, but for him – they got guys, you know, they got the Callum Johnsons, the Buwasis, yeah. the Yards. They got guys like, you know, they ain't relevant to us, but they they got people to line them up for. But it, I guess the question is, what do you guys think Canelo do next? Um, the, like, I got to, I mean, how they did this particular event may have commanded that his next fight will be at the same site or it will probably be in AT&T Stadium, um, you know, next year. Um, but if he's going to lean towards someone like uh, Billy Joe Saunders, they may have it in the same venue um, to try to, you know, maximize the amount of revenue without, you know, taking on so much, so much cost. So, um, I, I feel like with, with uh, Canelo, he's going to, you know, stay there at 168 and either fight Billy Joe Saunders or, you know, kind of like find out what's going on with uh, with David Benavidez or something like that. If Benavidez could stay there around 168. Because Caleb Plant going up against Caleb Truex on January 30th, uh, <laughs> if he if he wants to drop that line about being on CP time once again, then he'll probably just have that same thing. He'll be end up being passed on once again uh, there. So 
Uh, yeah, I feel like um, Canelo Alvarez versus Billy Joe Saunders is the most likely fight to happen next at this point uh, with um, Benavidez as a possibility or uh, Caleb Plant. But Caleb Plant is like, yeah, I would say around 10% right now. I actually think it's going to be either Triple G uh, Part 3 or it's going to be uh, Yildon. Oh, shit. I, done I mean, I'm just, being, I'm just being realistic. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm hey, just being realistic. Listen, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I would rather see Canelo Alvarez fighting Abney Yildirim in a WBC mandatory defense than seeing Canelo Alvarez and Gennady freaking Golovkin. I don't want to see another Canelo Golovkin fight. Screw it. I done made a whole video off of it. And I'm like, Golovkin needs to just quit and just fight somebody else. Fight a Demetrius Andrews. Fight a Jamal Trump. Fight on that damn arm. Who was people talking about? Uh, Jaime Munchia. I'm fighting Jaime Munchia. But why is it that, you know, you got to have um, freaking, um, what is it, uh, another fight happening once again off of that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got to, yeah, we got to quit with this uh, Canelo Galactic talk, man. I, I'm just uh, kind of uh, tired of it, um, of uh, of that type of thing there, man. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that that has to stop doing whatnot, man. Uh, what, what do you think, Mike, before I go back to world rank? Who should Canelo uh, fight next? That was the question. That was the question. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to give who I want him to fight next and who should he fight next. Um, who would I like him to fight next? Either um, Caleb Plant or I mean, do, does B Ball still have a belt at one seventy five? Yeah, uh, WBA. Yeah. So I think B Ball at one seventy five is the path of least resistance. B Ball has a style that potentially could give him trouble, but. You know, B-Ball don't jab and kind of got a few deficiencies which Canelo could take advantage of and pressure him. But I think B-Ball is slight of foot enough to give him problems. I think he's the weakest duck up there um, to where Canelo could get another belt at 175. Mm-hmm. And that that'll probably be the safest fight at 175 um, in terms of the champions. Uh, Caleb Plant would be a good fight in terms of Canelo probably think that he's bigger than him and probably could bully him, but Caleb Plant would give him trouble in terms of the jab, in terms of movement, and it would be interesting to see if Plant's win would betray him in the fight. Like, it'd be interesting to see Caleb Plant have to go to another level. Um... I was down in Nashville when he fought Figging Butts 
And, you know, it just looked like I was like, man, Ficken Bus is like, it looked like he like one inch away from, from like clipping Caleb Planton. I was just like, Caleb, watch out, man. Move your head. Um, you know, it was a good fight. I enjoyed the fight card. It was, uh, you know, very good fight. Um, different times, but, um, yeah, Caleb Plant or the other guy, B-Ball. I think those are the – Caleb Plant is probably less safe than B-Ball, in my opinion. Mm. What y'all think? What y'all think? Um, y- y'all – I mean, y'all know I'm, I'm not really sold on Baval. Haven't really been sold on Baval for years. Um, you know, some people may feel like he has enough skills to – be the top guy at 175. I just don't see it. Um, you know, you you said you were uh, there in the fight again uh, between Caleb Plant and Vincent Bigenbooks. Um I, I was in attendance when um, Baval fought uh, Isaac Chalemba in the co-feature two, the first fight between um, Elder Alvarez and Sergey Kovalev, and like, Baval just didn't really show me enough to, like, say that, okay, he's far and away one of the guys that could really do some damage in 175. Um, I know that, you know, one other caller here, uh, Matt, was talking about uh, Baval's reaction to not be uh, taking out uh, John Pascal when they fought. Um, but going up against someone like a... Isaac Chalemba, who, you know, may be a tough out for some, but he, you know, he was already, you know, a good amount of years past where his uh, top, you know, performance was. And Baval couldn't take him out, you know. So I was like, if he goes up against the likes of a better BF or, you know, a Canelo Alvarez, I just don't see him winning those fights. So that's why I'm not really all too interested in seeing uh, Canelo fighting uh, Baval as much as uh, him fighting Caleb Plant. Because Caleb Plant could, you know, probably give uh, Canelo different looks as far as, like, you know, with his, with his overall uh, mixture of size and speed and mobility, you know, as much as he could do uh, to, you know, probably give Canelo issues. And maybe he'll do something where, you know, like you were saying, with Callum Smith not fighting like he, you know, is a dog, like you probably see that a uh, Caleb Plant is a dog in the ring. So that's why I feel like uh, Caleb Plant is a better matchup uh, there instead of uh, Canelo going up against uh, Dimitri Baval. Uh, what about you, World Rank? That's an interesting take. Uh, but i come back to that. So I already said that who I think they're going to fight. So, uh, who I want to fight, the number one person I want him to fight is Charlo. That's the person I want him to fight. Personally, uh, I think Charlo is overdue for some type of big fight. And the number two person will probably, for me, probably be better BF just because of styles. And that fight would be what the Kovalev fight should have been. So, those two fights for me. But in terms of, um, in terms of the Bivol and Bivol point, I think I don't know the difference between, like, for me, Bivol style going up against uh, Plant style. Like, Plant is a much faster fighter. Uh, he's, 
I don't want to say he's a better boxer. I, I'm not totally sure of that. But in terms of the style of the fight, I don't see Caleb Plant being more entertaining than Bivol. Like, I don't really think neither one of their styles are per se a pleasing. And then when we get in the conversation about Bivol stopping um, the uh, South African guy, I mean, we entertainment doesn't always, you know, good doesn't always equate to entertainment. The ball could be good, right. but just not entertaining on the eyes. So I agree that I don't necessarily want to see the fight, but I don't think the plant fight would be much more exciting. I don't think plant's going to go out his way to um, be, you know, trying to get a knockout or anything like that. I think either fight is a 12 round fight. And I don't think, I just don't see the difference in B-ball and plant from in terms of the fight being more exciting or entertaining um, overall. But, yeah, I, I, Charlo is the first fight for me. That's what I want to see. I mean, yeah, I kind of feel you on that because, uh, you know, I, I was, um, you know, talking about that being a potential fight uh, next May after, you know, you had Jamal Charlo defeat Sergei Derevianchenko to defend the WBC middleweight championship. Um, and I was just looking at how, you know, the numbers could have possibly been for that pay-per-view or whatnot. But I, I just think that it should be a possibility that, you know, those two guys should fight. Um, but it may, it, but I don't know if uh, Jamal Trawler wants to do the same thing that he did at 160 and where he moved up to 160 and fought the guy that was slated as the, you know, the mandatory or whatnot, and was able to defeat him. I think it was George Washington Hayden to become the top contender. Like, will he move up and fight Abney Yoderum and try to take his fight, or you know, and to try to force a fight with Canelo Alvarez, or will he just, you know, stay there at 160 pounds and see if he could get another fight there at 160, maybe. It, what was it? They were t- possibly talking about him fighting um, Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, I-, I really don't see, like, a unification fight because you know that him and Demetrius Andre, that, that fight's not going to happen. And we know that Gennady Golovkin is not going to fight him. So uh, that may be the option there for a, uh, you know, a Jamal Charlo uh, there in order for a fight between him and Canelo Alvarez to happen. So, um, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, a good number of things there for, uh, Canelo to sort out, uh, before his next fight happens, which I think will be on Cinco de Mayo weekend in 2021. Um, yeah, go ahead. So we're ranked. The reason why I didn't mention those fights, because I don't think they're realistic. Uh, I just, you know, I know we were saying what we hope, but uh, yeah, those are the two fights I would want to happen, but I know they're not going to happen, so I was just trying to speak on what would be, you know, realistic in what I think the matchmakers, because we see that the matchmakers obviously do a great job of, you know, making Canelo look good, which, I mean, same thing you can see with Mayweather. The matchmakers made Mayweather look good, but at the end of the day, both of these guys are Hall of Fame class fighters, but yeah, I just don't think matchmaker-wise they're going to make that fight with either um, Charlo or uh, Better BF. 
No, I agree with you 100%. Um, and matchmaking is a lot of the uh, – it's half the battle, man. Just I, I just leave it at that. Matchmaking is definitely half the battle. Yeah, feel you. Feel you. Um, for those uh, listening in uh, through YouTube right now, if you want to call in with uh, and join in the Boxing Talk, the hotline number is 347 347- Two three seven five five three nine. That's three four seven two three seven five five three nine. Uh, want to jump into the uh, other card that was out there? World Rank kind of mentioned the main event uh, that was on with Emmanuel Rodriguez uh, there going against Caballo. And man, well, I mean, for starters, I mean, you had the original main event <laughs> completely get, you know, washed out because it was supposed to be, you know, um, the Bantamweight Championship between Nordine Ovali and Nolito Denaire, and then Ovali got hit with COVID. They made him the champion in recess, so then they had Nolito Denaire uh, initially going up against Emmanuel Rodriguez and Emmanuel, I mean, uh, Nolito Denaire got hit with COVID. And so they were just doing what they could do in order to, you know, keep that card going, keep the main event up there. So they had Emmanuel Rodriguez uh, going up against Raymar Caballo. Uh, Caballo was uh, slated as the top ranked uh, fighter in the WBA ranking. Emmanuel Rodriguez was there at number four in the WBC. And, uh, man, over the course of those 12 rounds, man, it really looked like Rodriguez was the, definitely the most active. Caballo only seemed like he was landing about one or two punches every round. And then we just get to the scorecards, and scorecards read, like, what was it, like 118 <laughs> – 118 to 110 for Emmanuel Rodriguez, and then he had a score of 116 to 112 and 115 113 for the winner. <laughs> it's still undefeated, Raymar Caballo. I was looking at that. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, hold up, cuz. Like, how is this possible, man? Like, <laughs> what were those two judges watching, son? I just couldn't believe it. But yo, I know, I know I, what Ray said. You 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 cast in on it. Um but I think there might be a little bit of something behind it given the two fighters. So maybe they wanted to lean towards the bio get this win to potentially have uh better matchups between him and a couple of guys that are holding world titles right now. But, uh, World Rank, you wanted to go into it a bit? Yeah, so it's a, it's a lot to go into this. So I'm just going to take it back to the mindset of behind the process of me making that bet. So I had been eyeing the bet all week, and Gabayo was the underdog. So you put 100 down, you get 115 back. That was the first time that I saw the odds. I didn't put any money down when I first when I first saw it. It was just one of those things where let me just get to Friday and Saturday and kind of figure out, you know, if I'm going to make that bet or not. So 
all Saturday I didn't make a bet, and the mindset was I'm scrolling on Twitter, and I see all these people talking about this guy. He'll knock out artists, and he'll all this and all that. And one thing about my handicapping is I'm always handicapping uh, politics. That's part of my handicap. Like, yeah. I feel like in boxing, it gives you an advantage if you know kind of the politics behind the sport. And this this is why I think boxing, when you bet on it, could be more profitable than others. It's some things that go on behind the scenes that that isn't accounted in the actual match or in the game. So yeah. I was like, Rodriguez, from what I know, was clearly the better fighter in terms of boxer, even before this fight. His resume was better. Uh, right. But there was a lot of there was a lot of hype behind this dude. So I said uh to myself, like something kind of what you just mentioned, like this guy seems like somebody that they're trying to build up for something. Cause he got this good looking record and they talking about him like even if he you know what I'm saying, even if he loses, and I knew Rodriguez was a boxer, so I knew that Rodriguez wasn't gonna knock this dude out. So I was like, given the chance that Gabayo, you know, might be the goods. And even if it go to the cards, I still had a chance. But the funny part is, before the fight was already announced, the scorecards, I was like, I talked this down to hell. I posted on Twitter like, man, I fucked with this dude and I lost my money and this and that. And <laughs> lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, a minute later, I see the scorecards and I'm like, man, this shit is crazy, bro. Like, like I felt bad. Seeing them like seeing them in my account because it was like, man, I ain't deserve to win this dude. This, <laughs> this dude, this dude was crude. He ain't. I mean, he was missing every hard shot he threw. He was missing. This dude almost got knocked out by a jab. When Rodriguez did not follow up when he had him hurt badly with a jab, kind of similar to the uh, Verdejo jab. Right. That guy, you know, his legs was gone. And Rodriguez just kind of stepped back, and I was like, can't just sit back. And one of these things fighters have to realize is a lot of these bad judges is always going against the guy who's boxing. These judges oh, yeah. have over and over has told us that they like aggressive, inaggressive effects, I mean, ineffective aggression. They have told us that over and over and over. And these boxers continue to sit on their laurels like, I'm going to get this decision. It's easy. With these judges out here and this corruption out here, ain't nothing easy. You cannot sit on your laurels and just think they're going to score every round for you being a clean boxer. Because these guys, it's, it's, a, it's an entertainment business, too. So you got to entertain. So any type of odds that they can get somebody else in there who's going to entertain, they're going to try to do that. And Rodriguez had this guy hurt several times and yeah. was outboxing this guy. And this dude ain't went two rounds to me. Mate, you know, he was just like – he was garbage, man. And to be honest, he was garbage. And he got this decision. I feel bad for Rodriguez, but, man, it's part of the game. Yeah, that was just, uh, you know, something I just felt like it was you know, absolutely, you know, ridiculous that he – you know, he would be able to the, uh what I'm saying with Caballo is that he would be able to get that benefit of the doubt. But I mean, you know, like you were saying with the whole thing with his record and him getting the amount of knockouts and, you know, his background, I was like, uh I'm like, he's looking like another one of these guys that they wanna, you know, try to boost up or something like yeah, that. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. And and it and and 
and that's kind of like what I got from this, uh, you know, with him being from the Philippines and, you know, they got, they, you know, uh, PBC like signed the thing with John Real Casimiro, who's from the Philippines. So it's like they wanted to have, you know, another one of those guys uh, be part of their, you know, um, group. And given, you know, how many fighters that they have there at 100 and, uh, you know, 18 pounds, I'm like, yeah, they they have a good amount of uh, matchups that they could, you know, put together uh, on there. So with with Caballo, it's almost like, hey, we we get Caballo, this could possibly be, you know, a uh, potential matchup against the, you know, maybe against the, the winner of uh, Donaire Wally if they try to, you know, put that matchup back up or, uh, have have uh, you know Gabayo be a uh, voluntary defense for uh, John Casimiro uh, next year and see if they have like a you know fire type fight uh, between those two guys. While on the on the flip, you got Emmanuel Rodriguez, who's former world champion, he who who did his thing, and y'all just said okay, he I guess he isn't really much of a factor. Uh, at Bantamweight, so you're just not going to give him the decision. I just thought that was, like, real weird right there. Man, they gave that man B-side status. Like, like they yep. killed his career right there. They literally killed his career right then and there. From now on, he's going to be an opponent. Watch. He's going to be in a – he had an opportunity to, you know, his next fight was going to be an important one. Now he's just going to be a B-side. And uh, last night, like, People be like Bantamweight, you know, one eighteen, all this death and all, you know, they they got these type of fighters and all that, Bruh, Gary Russell, off that one fight last night, to me would beat the other three people that fought at Bantamweight last night. That's like it looked like, like they be hyping these divisions up, like, and they were talking about uh, Gabayo, like he trained with a new way and all this and all that, bro. I ain't see that in the ring. You ain't bring nothing. Nothing you learned with a new way in that ring. You ain't bring none of that. And it was mm-hmm. like, like Russell. You know, he did his thing. It like he was. You know, he was on his way to a win over over Payano. And it's like off that one win, and then just comparing him, his boxing style to the other three guys. Like Rodriguez would be competitive with him, but Russell to me already looked like if you you know what I'm saying if you saying Gabayo about to fight for a world title, and you know. Rodriguez just beat him. Like, Russell in that mix already off this one fight. Like, I don't see how people be like, all oh, these divisions at the bottom, you know, at these lower weights be so deep. Like, this dude come in one fight, and he looked better than the other three guys that fought last night to me. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it don't look like there's no real, like, okay, in the way, you know what I'm oh. saying? You know, he all right. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Casemiro, you know, he all right. You know what I'm saying? But, to be Rigo, he you know he good, you know what I'm saying he you know Rigo, he, you know, but to say all oh, you know these are the best divisions and and you know all these weight classes and all that. Now you got one guy like Russell coming in and he looked better than the other three guys who are proven guys of the weight. Like this division ain't all that. Yeah, and and the thing about it is, is with uh, Russell's performance up until you know the uh, fight got halted through the head clash at the beginning of round seven. I mean, he's going up against Juan Carlos Baiano, who was, uh, you know, not only a former world champion, but 
he he gave uh, Daniel Ramon a good run at 122 pounds. You know, so it's like, hey, like, I mean, they might, like you said, they they could put up Gary Gary Antonio Russell there against uh, any one of those guys they have available uh, at 118. He definitely have a you know good shot of winning against those guys. And um, you know, he he talked about he he would like a fight against any one of them, even you know against a Josh Greer or Mike Klanya. You know, he mentioned all of those guys. Not just the you know fighters there at, that are holding the world title, but you know other uh, top contenders at 118 pounds. He's like, yeah, just go ahead and line them up. I'll, I'll be ready to take them on. You know what I mean? Yeah, it ain't no way that you you match him up against Gabayo and he not the favorite or he can't beat that dude because that dude is straight trash, man. Like he 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 he's not good to me. So I, I definitely lucked out last night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you definitely got good on that, man. And but I think, um, you know, there are a good number of people that, you know, didn't luck out. Um, you know, when it came to that cold feature bout, because it was going to be, you know, Jerome Boots Ennis there against Chris Van Heerden, where in, 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 in another sense, you had someone that. Um, you know, he was supposed to fight Thomas DeLorme, and DeLorme got hit with COVID. So they tried to, you know, fit something in with, uh, you know, Boosinus. And I think, you know, given some of the word that I, that I received um, in reference to Boots is that, you know, at the time they wanted to try to get him in with a couple more fights uh, before they really try to unleash him. Um, so... They fit in this fight here with uh, Chris Van Heerden. And, uh, hey, I'm talking about within those first two minutes of that first round, you saw that Boots was ready to tee off on Van Heerden. And and then, you know, it just happened, man. The, uh, Van Heerden, his top of his forehead landed on, you know, the side of uh, Boots where it's like around, you know, Enos' side and cheekbone. And it just split Van Heerden open. And it was like, you know, real gruesome off that. And, uh, you know, it just ended up being that they had to stop that fight immediately there. So, um, I mean, it's a, you know, bad break there for Boots Enos. Uh, Enos says, like, you know, it, you know, that it hurts and uh, that, you know, he worked hard for it. Uh, but he, he says that he's, probably gonna get right back at it uh you know real soon some people feel like uh they might try to get him in there by the end of uh, next month um i think he probably still could end up fighting thomas delorme if delorme is uh fully recovered uh from the uh you know the thing for COVID 19 so uh, i think they want to just go ahead and go forward with that bout uh if um, Delorme is fully recovered, and then after that, if Venus gets that win, then it's it's off to the races, I would say, uh, for Boots Venus uh, there, you know. Hey, Mike, what you think about Boots? Uh, I didn't see a lot of the car, uh, but I saw the headbutt, which I guess that was most of the fight, maybe. But um, I think that. I think he's technically 
gifted. I think that he has a lot of upside. But I, there's no but on that, period. He has a lot of upside. My only qualm is, like with everybody else, true talent tells over time. He in with guys that he's supposed to be, which means that he has no fear of throwing his hands. What happens when he is in with a guy who, you know, I know he had one fight where he didn't look as great. I, I remember seeing that fight. Uh, but it seemed like almost his last few fights, he just – let his hands go and show his speed and get people out of there. But what happens when he does crank it up or, you know, is fighting a fighter that, that he has to think or makes him second guess or, you know, like where he faces adversity? I got to see him face some adversity, and then I will be able to give an accurate assessment. I mean, he looks great against the guys he's supposed to be, but what is he going to do when he does fight somebody who hit him and hurt him and he got a – endure or survive or or a different skill than than just, you know, getting these people out of there. Like, I mean, I'm going to use other people. Terrence Crawford at least has has shown us that. Terrence Crawford got cracked by uh, Gamboa, got cracked by Mean Machine, you know, like, and he endured and, and, and passed those tests. It just... It's unfortunate that Terrence Crawford, the highest level fighter that he fought was Kell Brook or a um, um, the guy who cracked him, uh, Gamboa. That's, that's, to me, the best fighter that he done fought. Um, Amir Khan don't count because he's like an older version of himself. So name-wise, sure, Amir Khan is probably the best fighter name-wise, but talent-wise, Gamboa or, or – um, Kell Brook, uh, like, he done shown you his grittiness. He done shown you his will to push through, but he got to fight somebody good. He got to fight somebody who, where he got to, like, pull through. And so that's my thing. Boots is good. However, when he does fight that person that he just can't blow out of there, how's he going to respond? Is he going to respond like Agent Broner or is he going to respond like Errol Spence, you know? Hey. And I will say, Agent Broner did respond well to me in the Madonna fight. But after that, he was shell-shocked. Like, people crack on him for getting dropped by Madonna and stuff, but Agent Broner never stopped trying to win that fight. And he showed me something that, that I was like, if he fights like this and keeps it up, even if he do lose the fights, he's going to be a tough out for everybody. Because he knew he was down. He knew he had to get a knockdown, and he was throwing his hands, which he was landing. It's just that Madonna hit him with some clean shots because he just stay on the line, don't move his head. But after that, he was shell-shocked and just never really wanted to get hit again. So that means that he just keep his hands up and, and just stay in the, in the pocket. So, yeah. Yeah, that'd be the thing about it that there with, um, you know, with Boots Enos is, uh, you know, if he uh, has that type of matchup, you know, how we would, you know, kind of deal with, you know, that type of adversity. Um, you all would want to see him there against, uh, you know, the higher uh, ranked fighters in the welterweight division. Um, you know, I probably would kind of say that uh, he he will get that chance uh, there fairly soon. Um, I just got to see if he, you know, would go up against like a, 
maybe start off with like a Jamal James, but I don't think they're going to put him up against someone like, uh, you know, like your Dennis Ugas just yet. Uh, maybe they could, you know, say put him up against a, a, a Jesse Vargas. Um, I don't know, either that or a certain Lippin' Yes, because Lippin' Yes is, uh, you know, up there in the uh, rankings for some of these sanctioned bodies. So maybe they'll have him go up against the Lippin' Yes uh, here uh, fairly soon um, before he's put in position uh, there for a world title shot. I think you got someone in here checking in from the 404 area code. Tell us your name, where you're calling from. You're on the Boxing Source Radio Show. What's good? Hey, what up, man? No, this is Naj down here in Atlanta. I ain't heard from y'all boys in a minute. We have had some fights, so I figured I'd check in and see what y'all was talking about tonight, man. Yeah, uh, we um, you were just going over the thing there with, uh, well, the first segment was against uh, that Canelo Callum uh, fight in uh, now I just went over the thing with um, Raymar Caballo getting the win over Emmanuel Rodriguez for some reason, and uh, potential of uh, Boots Enos in 2021. So that's been pretty much the uh, gist of the show so far. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and, and just because you guys are on, I, I just want to say this, man. Boxing gets a lot of flack for the politics in boxing, how money moves things and things like that. How come people don't say the same stuff about college football? We see the same stuff happen with college football, but somehow they're walking around with a clean image. But boxing catch hell for any small infraction or anything that looks like it might be suspect. College football, they can say, man, that team only played four games, but they're playing in the playoffs. Why? Because they got money. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> with, with boxing, everything is scrutinized to the ninth degree, man. I feel. I mean, I feel you. I, I, I follow you know the sport of college football pretty much as as I, I cover the sport of boxing. And you know, this year we you know have this thing where you know the college football playoff is you know now set, and they have uh, a team that has played six games in an entire season, and they are ranked number three. You know, while you know other teams have had full seasons. Uh, play more ranked teams and not even, you know, sniff the top 10, you know, probably in like a coastal Carolina. Um, and that is more, that sport is more about the haves and the have not. Because, I mean, just to, you know, give a quick example, like you have all of these teams here that are put in position to uh, play in the college football playoff or, you know, playing in those major bowls, the Orange Bowl or whatever it is, and get the money off that. But on the flip side, you have someone like a Cincinnati that could put in the work, a Coastal Carolina that could put in the work, you know, maybe a BYU that's, you know, out there or something like that. And, shoot, I mean, Coastal Carolina probably played more ranked teams than Ohio State did this year. And they get put all the way down that line while other teams like an Iowa State or an Oklahoma or Florida – could go over them with about two or three losses in 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 a uh, you know whole season, but it has the same amount of politics as the sport of boxing does. Uh, but you know, sometimes that's how it is there. Like I said, haves and have nots in, in college football. 
with the programs and the in the conferences there and in boxing is more about the promotions and how in their relationship with the sanctioned bodies. Right. So so yeah, so Canelo look good, I'm assuming. I didn't see the fight, man. I I kinda of missed it the other night. I mean, yeah, I'd say Canelo looked good, but Callum Smith didn't really do enough in that fight. I mean, Callum Smith is there, you know, like I said, he's supposed to be six foot three with an eight inch reach advantage over uh Canelo Alvarez, but he doesn't really fight tall. So he didn't fight tall at all against Canelo Alvarez and allow Canelo Alvarez to get to the inside and, you know, get you know, put in work and pretty much battered him over twelve rounds and uh, for a few people, Callum Smith just looked like he was just there to, you know, make it through 12 rounds in comparison to, like, you know, his brother Liam, who's two divisions lower, but at least, you know, put in the effort to try to get to Canelo Alvarez, even though he got to stop a body shot. But still, it looked like he, you know, wanted to be more competitive in the fight against Canelo Alvarez in comparison to Callum Smith. So, yeah, Canelo gets the win and unanimous decision, and he's you know viewed as by many as top pound for pound fighter. It's just that mm, Callum Smith just didn't look like he was there to really give uh, Canelo a real challenge, and so now it's like West Dex for Canelo Alvarez in twenty twenty one. Yeah, that could get interesting. I know they're not talking about Triple G again. Well, yeah, that, that could get man, I hope not, man. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. I don't want to hear nothing about no third fight between Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. I know that Gennady Golovkin had his fight on Friday night. And listen, that fight shouldn't have even happened. I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to be covering the sport. I know that I was on the conference call. and I, I listened to everything that everybody had the same reference to that conference call. But come on, man. They wanted to make that fight just for... Can uh, uh, Gennady Golovkin have just a filler for having the IBF title? When they said that that dude was IBF mandatory, I was looking all over high, high and low to figure out how is this dude the IBF mandatory after uh, Gennady Golovkin fights Sergey Dremyanchenko, and he got through that fight. And people, some people felt like Dremyanchenko won that fight, and. They wanted to see a rematch, but nope. They were talking about, oh, let's have a mandatory go down. Hmm, that's pretty interesting, given that who the mandatory was. I was like, come on, man. Like, and 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 before that fight, people were talking about, oh, I want to see a, I want to see a uh, Canelo Golovkin three, and oh, it would be exciting if there's another fight between Canelo and Golovkin. I'm like, man, who? Everybody, and, and this is from a fan's perspective, right? When people talk about Gennady Golovkin and potential opponents for Gennady Golovkin, one of the first things that they say is, oh, uh, who did that guy fight in order so he could get a fight with Gennady Golovkin? Dude, who are these guys that, that Golovkin is fighting right now? That, what did they do? <laughs> Yo, like, come on, man. Like, Steve Rose, come on, man. Like, I, I'm sorry, but, yo, hey, I know you ain't checked in for a while, but, yo, if folks know me more than anything, I get on Gennady Golovkin more than any fighter that's out there because there's so much praise given to Gennady Golovkin. We're talking about, oh, he's had all these successful defenses of the middleweight title 
or oh, he he could uh, surpass Bernard Hopkins for what Bernard Hopkins did. And I'm like, man, Bernard Hopkins beat Oscar De La Hoya, beat Felix Trinidad, like went through that <laughs> tournament at first. Look at the, look like, at the pelt on the wall. Like you can't compare on. the competition and the pelts on the wall that Bernard has to him. So yeah, at that point we get ridiculous. And, and I'm like, yo, like y'all wanted to have this whole thing with Golovkin and Canelo. We have both saying that oh, Canelo was ducking him and this and that. And I'm like, man, Golovkin ain't really do that much. Golovkin has only had four fights that really define his middleweight career. Four. Two against Canelo, one against Jacobs, and one against Drevianchenko. Outside of that, he really hasn't had anything. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And yet people want to say that he should have another fight against Canelo Alvarez. I'm like, no. Let's have some other fights happen. Let's have Canelo fight Jamal Charlo. Let's have Gennady Golovkin in a unification bout against Demetrius Andre so that for once Gennady Golovkin can finally fight for a WBO middleweight title. Let's at least have that. But we need to stop with this whole thing about Nello and Gennady Golovkin. I probably don't want to see that third fight more than Canelo does. I'm straight up. <laughs> like, like I know that after that second fight that Canelo did want, didn't want to have any parts to do with Gennady Golovkin. But I'm like, I don't want to have any parts to do with Gennady Golovkin because it's like, yo, you giving this dude like a whole bunch of cupcakes. Yeah, you talking about college football. Like, this dude has had a coke schedule, son. And, <laughs> and, 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 and people want to give him all this praise. I'm like, nah, man, come on. Like, have him fight somebody they, else. They, they remember watching him on TV, and on TV he was hitting people hard and knocking people down. So that's what they remember, man. But, but the other thing I want to ask you about too is, man, this Floyd situation like is not a small thing. Like Floyd doing it is already bad, but what happens to a sport where I think we can all agree, like you know, most guys aren't taken care of to a certain certain extent by the time their career is over. What happens when the rank and file guys start doing publicity fights and stunts and stuff like this and you lose? Like you're devaluing your sport. Like do people like understand that? Like this idea that you get a payday for fighting Instagram model of the week or YouTube guy of the week or whatever that's going to get you a payday. Like, do people understand, <laughs> like, like you're, you're taking away the, the I don't know, the, the mythology of your sport when you're putting up against regular folk and, and, and non-professionals? I, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm just, you know, just coming out with it. Just cause, well, I, 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 I saw it and I just felt the way, but just seeing that announcement. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've had like my uh, reaction to it, like you know, with Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather's like, "Hey, uh, listen, me, I'm going up against Logan Paul. He's a hell of a fighter, and <laughs> hell of a fighter. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, it's going to be a great fight. You order it on pay per view. It's going to be a whole show, 
and I'm going to show everybody that I'm TBE. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's, you know, kind of like, you know, part of it. But, I mean, I had like a, you know, a caller on here uh, that has uh, multiple nicknames. So one of his uh, handles is Boxing is a Business. And you kind of like put this at, at that same instance. Because for me, one of the things that kind of like impacted this as far as like it going, you know, full speed ahead was the reaction to the thing with uh, Nate Robinson, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Paul, and also how people reacted to Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. Like, of course, you know, both of those guys are over 50 years old, but the amount of social feedback that came off of that particular fight made this one go full speed ahead, you know, uh, and given the amount of reach that, you know, the Paul brothers have outside of the sport of boxing, that, yeah, it can be lucrative to a certain extent, depending on the amount of following that they do get leading up to this fight. So I think that, you know, while it may seem ridiculous on one instance, the business of it is like saying, hey, if I could make, you know, good, good money off of this, then I'm gonna go with um right right it, business wise like, it, you know, it makes sense boxing, short term but, right yeah. right business wise it makes sense short term I'm saying long term this hurts your overall product this is killing the golden goose this is I'm gonna make this money today and the hell with tomorrow when in tomorrow you're gonna need to be looked at with your sport with a certain standard and this kind of thing takes away from that. It puts you in the clownish area. Like, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they're going to make some money and all of that. What happens when a guy comes in there and they say they want to throw a fight to one of these guys? Because at, at a certain point, once it becomes all about the money, then all options are open. Like, think about the Nate Robinson fight, where I don't know who trained that man, but the fact that they let him actually box was insulting for one. Uh, they should have said, no, we can't take the fight. He hasn't taken training, and he, he, he can't compete in the professional setting. We saw him get knocked down. We saw him get up, get up and hold the back of his head like a child who had been scolded holding his head, and the ref allow him to continue instead of counting him out like he should have and let the man go until he was knocked out cold, even though he clearly could not protect himself as a professional boxer. Like, when you start getting in the bed with those kind of folks, man, I'm just saying, it chips away at credibility. Well, I, I, I mean, I kind of like I have a comment. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Um, I mean, he was definitely set up to, to that point um, on many levels he was set up. But is a set up, is it worth $600,000, $600,000 to get knocked out? Is that worth it to you? That would be my first question, and the comment I have is, you say, what does it do? Like, does it hurt the sport in the long run by doing these gimmick fights? I would say if you look back at the old days, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, all these guys did something very similar. Maybe not to this level, like, but they definitely had their exhibition fights against regular people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, George Foreman, this is different. But, you know, he fought five guys in one night. Are, were those guys real boxers? 
I don't think so. I mean, maybe they were. I don't know. I don't know. I just watched it right. right. I don't know the uh, background behind that. But, I mean, they've been doing this gimmick stuff, making money for a long time. I, I think that you're right. Where does it stop? There will be somebody to fight, like, you know, some gimmick fight, and then they throw it because that gives them the uh, max amount of money that they can make because they're going to have to do it again or something. But, I mean, this is um, boxing entertainment, whatever whatever type of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yep, you did fight five guys. <laughs> you did fight five guys in, uh, what was it, back in 1975? <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, you had uh, – Muhammad Ali against who was it that wrestler that was like what six foot ten or something like that, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, those things have happened in the past and you know continue to happen uh, now. Uh, the thing with Floyd Mayweather is, yeah, he's gonna keep doing exhibition fights. He's retired as a professional boxer. His name is now cemented in the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, so he is a first ballot Hall of Famer along with, you know, Andre Ward and Lana McClisco and Layla Ali and Ann Wolf and, you know, all those other uh, fighters. So what he does now is just basically a uh, bonus or whatnot because it is, you know, all about the money for him, you know. So, um, right. you know, with him going forward. Can I push back on what y'all are saying with this point? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to public... you to give a rebuttal. Do you think the public was a little more astute back in the day and could kind of separate a real fight from an exhibition? And do we have a generation now who thinks, oh, yeah, I think Jake Paul can beat uh, Floyd Mayweather. I'm going to bet $100 on that. I'm a Jake Paul fan. Like, don't you – like, I think there are more of those people now. And when you do stuff like this, like I said, I I just think it, 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 it cracks away at your credibility. LeBron James is not running five-on-five at your local 24-7 gym uh, against regular dudes. You know what I'm saying? There has to be a separation from the professional and the amateur. And when you start to mix those things, you don't know what can happen on the other side. I agree with what you're saying. Yes, it makes money. Yes, this is a clear path to easy work, easy money. So I think a lot of people are going to take it up. But I, I think there's some downsides to this that they're not seeing. Well, well, Floyd is retired, so I think that, to your point, it's yes, he is a he's he was a professional boxer, and he still is for all intents and purposes. But he's not an active fighter, so it still is exactly what you're saying. To where there's not any active fighters like fighting these bums, you know. Like if anything, the active fighter will fight across. Um, sport fight with an MMA person, you know that'll probably be the next thing where somebody else tries to fight, or Conor McGregor or something. Which I mean, yeah. that that's legitimate, you know. Like they, he stand up most of the time anyway. So, uh, and I do think Conor McGregor could beat, you know, some of these boxers, some of these full time boxers. You know, um, I don't know, I don't know, but he could beat somebody. But he's out of the sport, so. Nobody. He's out of the sport, but he kind of is the mantle of boxing right now. As far as this generation, yeah. he's the most visible. He's the most successful. You know what I'm saying? He, he's walking around with a lot with that. Yeah, as and Catalyst, as you, as you said, don't have the 
the knowledge to separate it. Like, like nobody will be able to separate it. So I agree with you on that point. Like, it is what it is. That means yeah. even the Conor McGregor fight was like everybody was in the bar screaming and yelling and just like was so excited. And I'm just like, man, I'm watching it, you know. Like I'm, I'm here. Sure, going to carry this dude in. for some rounds and then get him out of there. Like, yeah, like exactly what around. we all expected. And, and and then when when he started welling on him, everybody was screaming like just going crazy. And I'm like, this is not exciting. Like this dude probably about to be hurt for real. And y'all out here screaming. This is not, you know, <laughs> it's not funny. Like it's not. Like I wouldn't want nobody to get beat like that, you know. Like yeah, tired, exhausted. But 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 you gotta damaged. give it to Connor. Connor understood the most important aspect of promoting any uh, fighting contest, which is when you inject race into it, and you can divide lines on race with the fight. Oh my God, the sales and interest will peak beyond what you can believe. And, and Connor exploited that beautifully. Yeah, and that's exactly why they did that fight. The thing is, it's like you, you have someone with Conor McGregor uh, that was in MMA and things like that with the following that he had in MMA, and you go up against uh, you know Floyd Mayweather, who you know was viewed as a villain in the sport uh, for mm-hmm. the back half of his career, and that's how he became the most uh, financially successful fighter in sports in boxing history. Uh, was doing right. So you right. combine those two together and, you know, even though we as, um, you know, boxing, um, you know, aficionados and things like that knew what was going to happen, the event itself it was one of the most uh, financially successful events that they've had. You know, it was, what, a shade below? Well, not necessarily a shade below, but, you know, about a you what a million pay per view buys below uh, uh, Mayweather versus Pacquiao, but that's still over three million plus. So right. they were still able to do that, given that Floyd Mayweather definitely had the advantage over Conor McGregor, but they were still able to get that many people to watch that fight. To me, that is more of a feat than anything else to have someone and, and, that and is in this match. Yeah, and Connor was money, still the, able to the get money coming into Vegas on Connor was crazy. Yeah, you're right, right. And, and the fact that people would even bet on it, which is astounding. But 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 you but you go back and you think about the the, the, the whole little situation, and and the the thing that sticks out the most is Mayweather figured out the best way to make money as a fighter would be to become a villain and have people pay to see me get beat up. But if I don't get beat up, you're going to have to pay for the next time to hope that next guy can beat me up or that next guy can beat me up. So yep. he became a heel as opposed to the fan favorite, and it worked. Like it, It's the craziest thing ever. A defensive fighter without much KO power because of the injuries to his hands became the most successful fighter financially. Like it, You could never predict that. Yeah. Yep, and and yeah, he became more more successful in you know the the thing with uh, well financially successful in Mike Tyson and more financially successful in Oscar De La Hoya, uh, you know, on there, you know, just given those two those two um, you know tributes that you mentioned, and he's I guess carrying that on over 
uh, to the entertainment uh, industry, so to speak. So they wanted to combine the whole thing with boxing and entertainment. So that's what he's doing there, you know, uh, against <laughs> you know, against uh, Logan Paul and whatnot. So you do have that. Um, but going going back into um, you know some of the thing with the action that happened this uh, past week, um, I think that uh, you know uh, there was like one other off topic from the Canelo Smith fight, and that was the who that was who attended that fight in San Antonio, um, and it looked like we you know, had a good amount of feedback as far as like who attended that fight and who didn't didn't attend other fights. And one of the people that was pretty much uh, the topic of discussion was the unified welterweight champion, Errol Spence Jr., as he was there in attendance in San Antonio to watch, you know, uh, Canelo Alvarez. And, uh, you know, they had uh, people in the zone there to um, – talk with Errol Spence Jr. So I'm going to see if I could try to get that uh, clip going uh, to see what happens there. So um, let me see if I could uh, fire this up a little bit. I'm going to try this here in a moment. Let me see how this will run from the Zones uh, Twitter site here. So here we go. Spence versus Terrence Crawford. I mean, that, that could happen. We got to see how it goes, but... Crawford fight. How optimistic, if at all, are you that you can get Crawford in 2021? I think, I think it could happen. I mean, just for, you know, Al and Bada sit down, and, you know, for Bada start lying. So, um, we'll see. But I think it, it definitely could happen next year. So you got to sit down and talk and, you know, go over notes and things like that. But it definitely could happen. But, like I said, I'm the big dog at, at the Westway Division. And he got he to gotta take a back seat and take that 640 or 730 where we get and that is the comments there from Errol Spence Jr. Um, you know, first thing was he talked about a uh, Bob Bob there need to stop lying, <laughs> and that uh, you got you got to know that I'm the guy in the welterweight division, and and uh, they got to understand that you know you got to take that split whether it's sixty forty or seventy thirty or whatever it is, and um, it got a little bit of backlash from certain a certain group of uh people there uh like those that um you know those that are there at the um what was it the fans of Terrence Crawford and one of the things that I heard was kind of funny is that the question was raised, how, they said, how come Errol Spence went over to watch Canelo's fight, but didn't watch Terrence Crawford's fight? Um, to me, that's hilarious. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through two reasons why. Number one, why would Errol Spence Jr., go to Las Vegas to see a fight between Terrence Crawford and Kell Brook 
when he's in the middle of camp. And his fight is three weeks later. That's number one. Number two, the Crawford-Brook fight was in Las Vegas. The Canelo fight against Callum Smith was in Texas. Las Vegas has a very different set of rules as far as who can attend live events in comparison to Texas. When it came to Las Vegas, in the MGM Grand Ballroom, only 100 or so people could attend those fights. That ain't Texas. So you mean to tell me that Errol Spence was going to be one of those 100 people that was going to attend a fight between Terrence Crawford and Kel Brook? I would like to know how that was going to be pulled off. That's number one. But number two is, hey, if it was going to, if that fight would have been in Texas, then maybe that would happen. I mean, hey, you did have Terrence Crawford over in Texas to watch Errol Spence against Danny Garcia, but like I said, once again, that's Texas. You could have 12,000 people showing up to those fights. You can't have that over in Las Vegas. So I'm not sure why people want to bring up that conversation when they know and they should be fully aware of what the rules are as far as, like, attending live events uh, in, in, in these states. So I, I just felt like that was kind of funny that it was brought up by some people. Um, right. What are your reactions to it? I don't want to jump in front of your co-host. What was it, what now? Oh, he was, like, saying, uh, you can go ahead, Mike. Uh, did he ask a question? I didn't. I didn't catch it all. Oh no! no he said I, I, I want to go let you in go first. Y'all. I didn't want to jump in front of you. Oh, it's no problem. You, you know, uh, you co-host. Oh, I'll, Jr. probably wouldn't let me claim that because then I'll start talking about Deontay Wilder a bunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean. I mean, y- y'all brought up a good point, or Jay J brought up a good point that why would he go during camp? Number two, why would I go? Like, it's it's like literally very simple. The I'm gonna say a side. Who has the most to gain between these three people? Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez has the least to gain out of all three people if he fights anybody on this list. Um, mm-hmm. Errol Spence has more to gain fighting Canelo than he does fighting Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford has the most to gain out of all of this. Why would he not go to a Terrence Crawford fight? Because he has nothing to gain really fighting Terrence Crawford. No offense to Terrence Crawford. Um, why would he go to, to a Canelo fight? Because he has everything to gain. Like, and I'm almost right. positive that Zone paid him for his appearance because for them to put him on TV, say his name, all this stuff, I'm pretty sure they said, hey, we got a free seat for you. We just want you to come out here. We heard, you know, the big talk about we, we heard your interview on the Brian Custard show about your coach saying y'all going to fight Canelo. Come out here. Bring, bring, you, you're pretty hot right now. You're buzzing. Bring some attention. We got a free seat out here for you. Um, you can probably drink drink all night, whatever you want to do. They probably paid for his flight to get out there, too. Well, it's a car ride, but whatever. 
Um, but he got something to gain from Canelo. He don't have much to gain from from Terrence Crawford. Not not no offense, but in terms of X's and O's, he's hotter than Terrence Crawford. Yep. Which is why he started negotiating uh, within the conversation. Uh, just outright landing out there, seventy thirty, maybe sixty forty. The disrespect <laughs> he was putting that in the air for a reason. You need me more than I need you, so I want to go ahead and start dictating terms. If we ever do start negotiating, I want to make it clear who's the A side and who's the B side. So, I mean, yeah, he's clearly looking at it that way. You need to come to my fight. I don't need to come to your fight. You know, that's it is what it is. Do you agree with him, uh, though? Do you agree with him, though, with his assertion? I kind of do why, why agree. Not? Of course, 70, 30, 60, 40, of course, all of that is ridiculous. Like, that's, you know, that's just being disrespectful. The, the, the difference between them as far as, like, if we looked up Q rating for both of those guys, the difference in Q rating wouldn't be that, that vast to where you could justify that kind of money. Uh, What's like, like your your rating in popular media, rating amongst people rated by media. Like, like they study this stuff. Yeah, like media like, or trends, tonight, like the Google Trends. Right, right. A, a good example for it. Look up LeBron James Q rating when he left Cleveland and went to Miami, and then when he left Miami and went to uh, went back to Cleveland. Look up those two Q ratings. That'll tell you everything you need to know about it. But but yeah, as, as far as this goes, like like my man said, he doesn't need him, so I, I can see him pushing it that way. Now, as far as them as fighters and as far as legacy and everything else, I think Arrow does at some point need to knock Terrence out. Like I, I think he does need to do that, but it's going to be on his time. If it's, if it's up to him, it's not going to be on Terrence's clock because Terrence's clock is ticking and he needs it. I think we all know that. So yeah, that's. That's a tough one, man. But I think they are, and they they have the latitude to do this, to just wait Terrence Crawford out to where Terrence Crawford has no choice but to say, Bob, what you going to do? Like, I got an offer from uh, PBC, and this is what they're offering me. They're saying they're going to give me what you saying you're going to give me, plus two, three more million per fight. Like, what you going to do? And Bob would be like, do, do the, uh, what Bob going to say, uh, Jay, what Bob going to say? If Terrence asked him that, what, what would Bob say? What in reference to him uh, losing money? Well, he if 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 uh, Arrow is like, hey, what are you gonna do, Bob? PBC tells me they're gonna match what you're gonna give me, and they're gonna add a million or two every fight. What would Bob say to him? Well, listen here, Terrence Crawford. <laughs> I don't care what they offer. Listen, I'm losing the money as it is. Having you fight these guys, so if you decide that you want to go over there with Al Heyman, whether he exists or not, then go ahead. I don't care. He got to make a choice. I think they should just wait him out. And, and Bob also doesn't want to be open and honest and tell tell the the real truth of of who Bob is and what he wants. He just looks at Arrow as too much of a risk. He doesn't want this fight. I don't think. I don't think Bob wants anything yeah. close to this. I think he wants to continue to coast, get these wins, get these knockouts, get yourself on TV, raise the profile, and then sooner or later you, you get whatever big fight. 
But I, I don't think Bob wants any part of anything that he looks at as risky. And he looks yeah. at Arrow as extremely risky. Yeah, I've I've said, you know, multiple times that the pattern with Bob Arum is that he he doesn't pit his fighters against like other guys that may be aligned, you know, with another organization. Uh, you know, other outside of um unless if he feels like he's confident that, you know, his fighter will win. Um, you know, we've had recent examples of, you know, where you know, we had uh Jose Ramirez there against um you know, it's against um Maurice Hooker. You know, we had the thing where he put up Boston Lomachenko against Luke Campbell for the vacant WBC uh lightweight title. Um and, you know, to a certain extent, even though it was still part of a rematch clause anyway, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. But Outside of that, you really don't see him like say, "Hey, we'll we'll have a Vasilomachenko going up against a Devin Haney, or or something like that." And I think here in this same instance with Terence Crawford, he just doesn't feel completely confident that Terence Crawford can beat Errol Spence Jr. You know, and it's, it's not only that; it's like on top of that, you have the whole thing with um, you know, those other guys there with PBC. You know, so you have a you have a Sean Porter, you have a Keith Thurman uh, out there, and to a certain extent, you also had at one point there with uh, Danny Garcia. Funny because they said like, hey, they were offering Danny Garcia a certain amount of money, but you turn around and you offer Amir Khan more money. I I, I just didn't understand that, you know. So it, it's one thing when it comes to like the business part of it. But like with with uh, Errol Spence's comments here, um, we were talking about like Bob needs to stop lying. And then like what was it like last month or a few weeks earlier, he was saying like he he'll do the you know the negotiations as long as you know Coach Bomack is out of it, who's you know Terrence Crawford's manager. And it's like why is it that he's saying like those other you know guys need to be out of the conversation? Are they doing something in order to block the fight? I don't know. But, I mean, Who said had... that? That blowback need to be out? Errol Spence. Huh. Yeah, and then, but but at a certain point, though, there also becomes the, the point of um, making ass that I know you want, you won't comply to, so, therefore, there's no fight anyway. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, how they have that thing, um, you know, uh, how they have it like um, working out. So it's it, it it's it's going to be interesting how they do this thing next year, um, you know. But one thing that's also a factor is the, you know, the Manny Pacquiao sweepstakes. You know, Manny Pacquiao did mention Errol Spence's name after Errol Spence's fight against Andy Garcia. And Uh-oh. he he said that he wants to fight. Uh, old man, go into the night silently, old man. Don't do this to yourself, old. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, he's still there holding the you know that WBA uh, version of the welterweight title, and unless if he goes and fights somebody like a Mikey Garcia next, then 
I mean, Earl Spence may be the uh, maybe the option there. Unification between Earl Spence and 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 Manny Pacquiao, even though. Bob Aaron said that, oh, we were working on a fight between Terrence Crawford and Manny Pacquiao to happen in Saudi Arabia, but the whole thing with COVID just, you know, took all of that out of the cards. I, I was like, and I, like, I, I, I really couldn't buy that because something of that magnitude, we would have probably heard something before yeah. Fight, they would have sent out a test balloon just to, just to see how the public feels about it. Like, come on, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Bob ain't doing this stuff by, like, he just got the feeling. You know what? I'm going to make that fight. Like, they study everything before they make a move that major. So, definitely would have heard rumors and whispers and boxing forums and social media. That would have been everywhere. That would have been the talk. Yeah. Because you got to prime the market, you know? And, you know, I, I just didn't, you know, hear it, you know, in, in, in any sense of word. I mean, it was like, you know, it's been a good amount of time, you know, since Manny Pacquiao had a fight. His last fight was July 2019 against Keith Thurman. So hmm. something of that magnitude would have probably been mentioned before all of this stuff kind of like, you know, shut down as far as like the big events were concerned. Like, even right. up to, you know, what was it? It was like February 28th or 29th when they had the fight between Mike Garcia there against Jesse Vargas. Like, even at that particular point, people knew what was going to happen with Canelo at first. Like, they were lining up to have him fight Billy Joe Saunders. Like, that was going to be the announcement that would soon be official. So, if they could have something like that happening, they had the whole thing about announcing the fight initially between Vasil Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez. That was going to be, you know, slated for April. So they already had that being talked about. And you mean to tell me that uh, a Manny Pacquiao fight wasn't, you know, brought up? Especially one against the Terrence Crawford? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not really kind of leaning towards that. I mean, I know that if I had you know, Coach Bomack on here a couple of times, but like something like that, I, I just like that just doesn't seem right to me. That it wouldn't have been talked about, it wasn't talked about before, but oh, now they want to bring it up at uh, uh, the day of the Crawford book fight. I just that just doesn't sound right to me. You know, it, it, um, it sounded like the the bad father who was gonna take them kids to Six Flags. He came by, y'all just wasn't ready. Oh, see, I came to pick y'all up and uh, take y'all to Six Flags. Y'all, y'all wasn't on the porch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, y'all, yeah, y'all, y'all went on the porch. So I, yeah, I just kept on driving. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> oh, oh, Look. before I get out of here, I, I definitely, I gotta ask. Uh, about the Anthony Joshua fight too, man. The uppercut right. to death. I, I got definitely got to hear y'all opinions on. Joshua, well, I mean, we had division, like, you know. Well, we had a little bit of a segment last week in reference to uh, Anthony Joshua and someone saying that you know maybe Anthony Joshua, you know, doesn't have you know enough adversity or something like you know. But that's a whole other story. Um, 
the whole thing with him and the uppercuts, he's had that, you know, within his repertoire for a good amount of time. Um, it's one of his best weapons. Um, and for him, him using it against Kubrat Pula, that was kind of like something. It was just that, you know, some people felt like, oh, he's fighting too timid. He's doing this. He's he's boxing. And he should be a brawler. And, you know, I, I kind of like had this discussion with uh, one, one other person that like, like he, that he, they felt like Joshua needs to be like a tactical brute, almost like how he was up to the point where he fought what I'd say like a Joseph Parker or something like that. But my thing is this, like in the heavyweight division, you can't fight everyone the same way. Like it's not always going to work. So if you want to be a boxer, if it works for you, if the matchup or the styles work where you, if you have the most success as a boxer, you go ahead and do that. You just do that. And if there's any openings for you to open up some more and use your big shots, then go ahead and do that. But don't give your opponent more opportunities to get to you. So if you're the taller fighter or you have the better jab or you can control the range well, then yeah, go ahead and do that. Like, Shoot, you didn't have Colin Smith do that, and he was 6'3", going up against somebody that's 5'9", and yet he didn't want to use the jab. He wanted to just throw one one jab at a time and then try to do something on the inside. That's not how you fight guys that are smaller than you that could probably do some good work to your body if you have them up close. You're supposed to keep them away from you. So what Joshua did was partially that, boxing, and then also using his counterpunching skills because the first knockdown was set up with him controlling the distance, having Pulev throw his jab all out of range, and then he turned around and came back with a right hand. Bow! And then that just started up everything for that first well, standing eight count to happen. And he just worked off that. Oh, okay, thanks, man. It's a good breakdown, man. Yeah, because I, all I saw was the fight kind of sporadically. I was doing something else while I was watching it, but, you know, watched the knockdowns and everything multiple times. But, yeah, I was wondering, man, because I, I, I don't know. I, I got a lot of faith in Joshua, more than most people do, though. It seems like a lot of people not too high on him. Yeah, I'm kind of like you know, heard that too, but the thing about it is, it's like, well, I mean, up to this particular point, we, it is, is rare for us to see, like, a fighter, uh, particularly with, with Joshua, given how many fights, professional fights he's had, it's only been, what, under, what, 25 or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, he's had, like, 25 fights or something like that, and, you know, up to this point, he's fought, like, multiple guys within the top ten. And, and it's almost been, like, in, 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 in succession. Like, you, you're not seeing many heavyweights at all do that. You, like, it, it's, it's crazy because you, you like, it, it's funny because in, in the sport of boxing, when it comes to fans, and a lot of fans have these complaints about fighters not fighting the best fighters. Well, here you have somebody in Anthony Joshua that keeps fighting 
guys that are within the top ten, within the top five, or the top two or three. And he still gets some criticism for doing that. Kind of, yeah, it, it's it's kind of wild, but, I mean, it it is what it is in some cases, you know? So... And 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 then you have like on the flip side going into next year where the the fight that should you know that should happen is Joshua versus Fury and the talk after you know this fight with Pulev was like look we want to have this fight against Tyson Fury and we want to try to do everything possible to make that fight happen and yeah. We do know that we have yet another mandatory that's out there that's due. But look, the biggest fight that can be made right now is Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. If we have to do what needs to be done in order to vacate the belts for the WBO, then so be it. We just want to have the best fight that's available right now. And for some reason, there's some people that feel like, oh, because he's dropping the WBO belt, that he's ducking Alexander Usyk. Oh, like you're trying to make the best fight that's possible between the number one and number two guys in the heavyweight division to find out who is the clear-cut number one. And yet people still want to complain about it. I just don't understand that. (laughs) Can't win for losing. You fight top ten competition, they criticize your performance. You try to set up the big fight, and they say, "Why are you ducking them?" <laughs> yeah, why are you ducking the mandatory? Yep, and that, that's pretty much how it is. My thing is, my thing is this: like now, I mean, it's crazy that you only really had Bernard Hopkins, Terence Crawford, and Alexander Usyk be able to be undisputed champions so to speak, with, with the four, uh, you know, four world titles instead of, like, three world titles like they had before, like with, the you know, the Mike Tysons or, you know, Lennox Lewis or something like that, even though the WBO was out there when Lennox Lewis did have all those belts. But still, like, you never had a heavyweight champion with all four of those belts. And we are here once again this close for it to happen, and there's still, you know, obstacles that prevent that from happening. And what's what's crazy is WBO is actually trying to push for this mandatory defense to happen, which is kind of funny to me. Because, like, wouldn't you rather have the winner of Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua to be, you know, the undisputed champion, and then have the fight uh, with Alexander Usyk next, instead of just having this fight happen first, and then you know whatever happens after that, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Everybody I mean, wants even from a, share. I'm like, even from a business perspective, right? Like, okay, let me let's see here. So we could have the undisputed heavyweight title fight happening against two of the biggest. Uh, fighters in the division that would bring in so this much money and we get a percentage off that in comparison to you know having this fight you know where it's a mandatory defense and you still get a percentage but it's not going to be as much as 
if it was going to be for the undisputed title. Like, I, you know, I don't understand it. But, hey, that's what happens with these sanctioned bodies. And the WBO is like um, the same WBO that could have had Floyd Mayweather as this world champion. But Floyd Mayweather didn't pay them sanctioning fees after he beat Manny Pacquiao. So, hey. <laughs> it, it's so funny when you put it like that. Like, yeah, man, that's the most lucrative that. fight in boxing history. And Floyd Mayweather gets a clear decision win over Manny Pacquiao. And he says, nah, you know what? WBO, yeah, you can keep your belt. I'm not giving you this money. I'm not giving you this percentage. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> that, like that, that right there was just the ultimate diss to the World Boxing Organization at that time. Like, biggest fight ever, and you can't even get Floyd Mayweather to give you a percentage just to keep the belt. Sad. And I'm sure it scared the hell out of them. <laughs> and the idea that other fighters could take on that same idea. But yeah, that's that was huge. Yep. Yeah, the, the 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 most lucrative fighter in 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 boxing history to tell you, yeah, you can keep your belt. <laughs> that yeah, that that hurts you for a long time. And of course, you know you have the other things with the lawsuits that the WBO has had. I think you know we recently had the thing uh, as far as like um with Austin Trout getting a settlement with the WBO and a few other people, and you know now even even to this you know current thing here this year where they had a long time before the WBO had anybody that was, you know, advised by Al Heyman be included in their rankings. This has just been recent that they've added, you know, those guys in there. So kind of like a crazy situation with the WBO, but if they, yeah, if they still want to go ahead and try to force that fight between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua first, I was like, eh, I mean, they they should just go ahead and <laughs> if you that. lose, if you don't get any access to two of the biggest mega fights in the past decade, are you becoming irrelevant? <laughs> That's what they need to ask themselves. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm like, yeah, the like, yeah, the it's been what over five years since that fight. Uh, between uh, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. And so you mean to tell me you're going to repeat the same shenanigans here of, uh, you know, not being, you know, involved one way or another in a big fight? Right. Hey, if you're going to lose out, then you're going to lose out. (laughs) Right, because the sensible thing is to say, okay, if a fighter gets a certain level of success and, and popularity, it may be in your interest to waive that fee or whatever you got to do as far as to keep them in your orbit as opposed to going to the mattresses to them over this small little fee that's not really going to matter in the long run. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing about it is is that with, like, a, uh, a number of these other organizations, what they would do is they would kind of, like, bypass a mandatory defense if your defense is going to be for unification. So why is it that the WBO won't 
bypass or just say, hey, we'll, you know, put a halt to or delay the mandatory defense to allow a unification about to happen. It's like, come on, like that, that should be uh, how the thing should work out. But nope, they feel like, oh, we're, 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 we're overdue because we haven't had a mandatory defense since, shoot, man, I don't even know. Because I'm like, let's see. Because uh, I had the thing with the two fights. Uh, Joshua had the two fights with Uriz. Then he had the fight with Pavekin. And he had the fight with Parker. And Parker had the WBO title. So it, it's been since 2017, I guess, since they've had a mandatory defense. It's a long time, but still, I'm like, come on. You're gonna take that you're gonna take that over an undisputed heavyweight title fight? Nah, that shouldn't that shouldn't be that way, man. I mean But yeah, that's how I feel <laughs> about that joint, man. Right. Okay, well thanks, man. Wanted to hear what y'all thought of that, man, because, you know, rooting for the guy. Hopefully we see him in Fury in there. And maybe uh homeboy uh, we'll get back in the game sometime soon too, man. So, with everything we, we all say about Deontay, I'm still rooting for the brother. But man, y'all be good. <laughs> it's good talking to y'all. Oh yeah, no problem, no problem there, man. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see what's up with uh, Deontay Wilder. I, I need to, you know, get some news on uh, where he's gonna be at next. Cause I really, I mean, they're saying that they may have this fight between him and Tyson Fury, but. I need that announcement sooner rather than later so that we do have an undisputed heavyweight title fight happening in 2021. Thanks for uh, calling in uh, there um, and give your thoughts on uh, these topics, man. All right, man. I'll let y'all next time, man. Yep. All right. And, um, yeah, I'm going to put like a little bit of close to this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show podcast. I um, wanted to, you know, drop like a little bit of another note. There was another uh, attendee for this uh, Canelo fight, and that was the unified lightweight champion, Teofimo Lopez Jr. Um, when he was interviewed, that was kind of uh, weird because I think the – was that Chris Mannix again? And did he kind of like refer Teofimo Lopez as the undisputed lightweight champion? Because if he did, that goes completely against having Devin Haney be on your network a whole month earlier defending the WBC lightweight title. So, are you going to recognize Devin Haney as the WBC champ, or are you going to recognize Silvio Lopez Jr. as the WBC champion? Like, saying the WBC franchise title wasn't supposed to be defended by anyone. It's a delega- It's a delegation. It's not a actual title that could be defended. But for some reason, they made it 
be defended in the Teofimo Lopez vs. Lomachenko fight. But that's the WBC for you. But for uh, that guy on the zone to like kind of like recognize uh, Teofimo Lopez as an undisputed champ, that's kind of disrespectful towards Devin Haney with Devin Haney holding the WBC title. So, yeah, I just found that to be kind of foul uh, right there. But, yeah, on that note, um, I'm going to close this thing out uh, here for this version of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Um, like I said, for next week, uh, the 27th, probably just do a small preview of the fight between Ryan Garcia and uh, Luke Campbell and just go over the year in review for the Boxing Source Radio Show because it was, you know, it was a crazy year, but it was probably one of the most busiest uh, years uh, for this movement, uh, the Boxing Source. So I'm going to go through all of that uh, in the next podcast. Uh, Hopefully y'all can uh, join us uh, here with that. I thank everyone for calling in uh, here for this particular podcast and joining uh, the live simulcast on YouTube. Like I say, at the end of every show, folks, the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit, not to send and trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody. <laughs>